I ran a marathon two years ago. How many of you knew that? I want to make sure everybody knows. Um, uh, my note says uh, pause for applause. Um, but uh, th thank you, you guys. No, 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 no. Um, you guys want to see my tattoo? From no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, but I started running about six years ago, and when I sort of working my way up distance-wise, I reached the point where I wanted to go run a distance that I had never done before, had said for my whole life, there's no way in the world I would ever want to do that. And uh, so when I knew that I wanted to do that, I knew I needed some help. And so I went to, uh, I went to a coach. Uh, those of you that know my wife, Jen, she is, a, she is a running coach. She's deeply passionate about fitness. If you want to get an idea of what my home is like anytime a fitness conversation comes up, uh, think Terminator 2, Linda Hamilton. Like, I actually call her Linda. Like, I'm like, Linda, calm down. Like, um, but I knew that she knew running, and it's not that I didn't know how to run. I mean, I could run from here to the gas station. Like, I would have passed out but when I got there. But I knew that I knew, like, technically, I knew how to run. And I knew that if I was going to run the race that I wanted to run, there's no way the way I was running, there's no way I was ever going to get there. And so I knew I needed help. I knew I needed someone that could give me some direction and some coaching to, to, to know how to train, to figure out what I needed to do in order to accomplish the goal. So the, 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 the request of help me run was not, I don't know how to run. The, requ the request was help me be able to run effectively, right? That's what we're talking about over last week and the next five weeks. That's what we're talking about when we talk about prayer. I think most of us in here understand the concept of prayer. I read the stat last week, 94% of Americans have said that they've prayed to someone or something in the last three months. All right, so the majority of Americans are, are, are praying to something, at least on rare occasions, even if it's just the God help me prayer. So I think it's safe to say the majority of us, if not all of us, we understand the concept of prayer. But when it comes to praying, I don't think effective is a word that most of us would link to prayer. Like most of us, it's words like frustrated, inconsistent, absent, discouraged, but, but not effective. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, I think Jesus was giving us things, not words to just recite, but he was giving us things to pray and ways to shape our prayers that we would pray prayers that, that are effective in terms of the kingdom. His kingdom, not my kingdom, not your kingdom, but his kingdom. And that's the goal. That's where we want to, that's where we want to go over the course of the next several weeks is be able to figure out what the early church was devoted to how they prayed, and how ultimately the connection they had with God, the connection Jesus had with the Father, influenced and shaped the way they lived their lives. So we're going to do this again this week. We've got the, the Lord's Prayer. We've got it in uh, King James English for our Baptist and Catholic brethren. Um, and uh, so after this manner, therefore, pray ye. I want you guys to pray this with me, right? So you ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So Father, right now we just ask that you would speak, that you would show us what you want us to, uh, to know, what you want us to believe, and ultimately how you want that to shape the way we live. So just speak to us now, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. 
So if you're here last week, we started the, the first week, we started with that phrase, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we broke that down and we talked about how uh, prayer for us, our, our pursuit of God is going to be influenced uh, greatly by our view of God. Like how do we view God? A lot of us view him as you know, deity, creator, uh, giver, sustainer of life, whatever it is. But Jesus invites the disciples and he invites us into a view of God that is much more personal. So he says, when we pray, we start with our Father. Not, 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 you know, praying to the God of the universe. He is that. But the God of the universe happens to call you family. So he says, we start from this place of, of relationship. He says, our Father who, or who's in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Your name is, is separate. Your name is, is holy. We talked last week about the story with Moses with the, the nation of Israel and how he didn't do what God told him to do. And God didn't let Moses lead the nation of Israel into the promised land because of that incident. And what he said to Moses essentially was, you didn't hallow my name. What he said to him was, you made my name appear common. That's the opposite of hallowed or holy is to make something common. He said, Moses, you made me look like every other angry God. And because of that, but you didn't hallow my name, you're not going to be able to, to take the nation into the promised land. And so that God, the God, the creator, the God that's above all, calls us family, and we started from the place of understanding that he's father. And then the second statement he makes is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray to God our father, and then we, we are asking that his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, which the cool thing about that is that's not a prayer that's futuristic, that's a prayer that's right now, that his kingdom could come right now, that his, his will would be carried out on earth right now as it is being carried out in heaven. But when we pray your kingdom come, the first question I always come back to is, do we really understand what we're asking? Like even for me, like do I understand what I'm asking when I pray, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. Do I fully understand and grasp what it is that I'm requesting, what it is that, I, that, I'm, that I'm declaring? In a book called Rediscovering New Testament Prayer, the author says this. He says, every day, in countless languages, this prayer, this Lord's Prayer, ascends to God. It could be argued that no single minute passes when it is not being uttered. Somewhere in the world, in some language, all day long, this prayer is being recited. But then he says, paradoxically, one could also argue that very few of us who pray this prayer have a clear notion of what we are asking for, especially when we reach the second petition, let your kingdom come. Yet in many ways, this is the central focus of the only prayer Jesus taught us, just as it was the central focus of his entire ministry. We pray, God, we pray, Father, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. But do we really understand what it is that we're asking? I mean, Jesus understood it. Jesus talked about it. Jesus gave us descriptions of the kingdom. He told stories about the kingdom. The kingdom simply defined is the redemptive reign of Christ. But it's a kingdom, it's a word that's easy to define, but it's really difficult for, for us to understand. It's difficult to understand the, the kingdom, this redemptive reign of Christ, because we can't see it. Like there's no geographical boundaries. Go get a, go get a globe and you can look and you can see all the, the geographical boundaries of, of countries or even get a, a map of the state of North Carolina and you can see Johnston County. Like there are lines where we know this is, this is our territory. The kingdom's difficult to understand because, because we can't see it. Because we're not gonna, we can't go there. It's not somewhere that, that you vacation this summer. There's no tours of the, the kingdom. There's no, 
shirts being given out. There's no flag for the kingdom. There's no national anthem, right? So, the, so all of these things that, that we look at when we kind of define our, our, our nation or our territory, really what you could say is our kingdom as a, as a nation, uh, we, don't, we don't have any of that. And so we can't see it, so it's difficult to understand. Not only can we not see it, but Jesus said it's here now, but it's not quite here yet. He said it's here, but not, it's, it's already here, but it's not yet here. In the book of Luke, he says the kingdom of God is already among you. In Matthew 25, he describes what it's going to look like when the kingdom is finally established when Jesus comes back to, to rule and reign. And so it's a kingdom that is here, yes, but it's also not here. It's future and it's present. Think preseason football. Like preseason football tells us football's here, right? But is it the real thing? Like not even close. Like your favorite players may play three plays, right? And so you'll watch the, maybe the half of the first quarter, but then you shut it off and go, well, I'll, I'll, kick back, I'll tune back in in September when the season really kicks off. So think the kingdom that way. The kingdom is here, but what we experience and what we see is nothing like it's going to be when Jesus returns and Jesus sets himself up and is established as the king over all of, over all of this kingdom. But to describe the kingdom a little bit, to talk about it, you could say that the kingdom is uh, anywhere Jesus is king. So right now, anywhere Jesus is king and everything and everyone is under his order and loving oversight, wherever that's happening, you could say that's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is wherever the presence of the king is and the principles of the king are lived out. I think the easiest way to say it is right now the kingdom is anywhere what King Jesus wants to happen is happening. Anywhere that what King Jesus wants to happen is happening, wherever that is, that is where the kingdom is. That that is what we are praying and asking for God to bring. That's what we're saying when we say your kingdom come. We're saying we want Jesus to be king and we want whatever Jesus wants to happen we want it to be happening. And so when we pray your kingdom come, what we're doing is we're, we're aligning our purposes, we're realigning our purposes under God's purpose. Because our tendency is not toward God, it's not toward God's plan or God's purpose, our tendency is away from, from God's purpose. We want to fulfill our purpose, not his. So it's like, it's like getting a realignment. Um, I've always seen, until recently, I've always seen realignments as just a cash grab. Like, I even have mechanic friends who are like, no, it's real, it's legit, and I'm like, whatever, you're just trying to make money, and, and I get it, but it's not going to be from me. Like, I'm, you know, a sucker comes along uh, every day, but I'm not one of them, until we just had to replace the tires on our oldest daughter's car, and when they got 50% of the miles out of it that we were supposed to get, and he's like, bro, I told you to align it. <laughs> and um, so, we, so what an alignment does is it takes our car's natural tendency is not to go straight, right? They're, they're going to pull. We're going to hit things just over time. They're, they're not naturally going to go straight. They're going to want to kind of go their own direction, and the wheel is constantly pulling against that. And so what we're doing when we pray, God, let your kingdom come, is we are realigning our purpose, and we are bringing it into alignment with God's purpose. Like, God, you are the one that has the plan. You are the one that, that is bringing the kingdom. And we play a small we play a small part in that. And when we pray your kingdom come, what we're saying and reminding ourselves is that his purpose is superior to mine, that, that his kingdom is superior to mine, that God's purpose is the thing that is going to guide and govern my life. And when you think about God's purpose, it's actually really simple in essence. The details of it are, are pretty complicated. 
But the essential plan of God, the kingdom of God coming, what that looks like, is the, is the redemptive reign of Christ. It's to redeem all of creation and place it under the loving rule of Jesus. That's the entire story of the Bible. Right? God created Adam and Eve. He created man and woman. He placed them in the garden. There was, there was open communication and communion between them and God. It was a perfect environment, but yet they chose sin and self. And when they created, when they chose sin and self, they created separation between them and God. And then the story of the Bible is God sending Jesus to rescue us. Galatians 1 says Jesus came to rescue us. That's the entire story of the Bible of God sending Jesus to live, to die, to be buried, to rise again, to pay for our sins, to reconcile us back to God. That's, that's the, the story of the Bible. And so when I pray this prayer, I am praying to align my life, my will, my priorities with the purpose of bringing everything under the loving rule of Jesus, of bringing everyone into this redemptive reign of Christ. And the problem for us is this. We say that we want God's purpose, and we say that we want God's kingdom. Like, like, like most of us in here have, have prayed that prayer at some point, maybe even recently, not even in the context of the Lord's Prayer. We've said, God, like, I want your kingdom to come. We say we want his kingdom, we say we want his purpose, but yet we continue to prioritize a bunch of other things over that. The truth is, for many of us, God's purpose isn't our purpose. It's something that's optional. We see it as, a, as an add-on. Like, go to your favorite restaurant, you order your, your, your main course. Like, that's, that's my plan, that's my purpose. And then God's purpose is something, oh yeah, I'll pay an extra $1.50 and maybe sort of add God's purpose into what, into what I'm already doing. Like we say we want God's purpose, but do we really surrender all of our life to see that God's purpose is fulfilled through us? Like we want his, we want his purpose, but we want our own. So instead we start to ask God to, to, to bless what we're doing. Like I've, I've done that so many times, like, like God bless what I'm doing. And, and I'll, even, I'll even tell God, God bless what I'm doing because I think what I'm doing is really good for the kingdom. Like I think you'd like my page if you just gave it a chance. So I'm like, God, I want you to, to bless what I'm doing, I want you to, to bless my will. I want you to further my agenda. And then he doesn't. We ask him for all of these things that have nothing to do with his kingdom, and then he doesn't, he doesn't give them to us, and, and we get frustrated, don't we? We throw our hands up in the air and go, well, well, clearly God doesn't answer prayer. God may answer other people's prayers, but clearly he doesn't answer mine. But when we pray, your, king, your kingdom come, we are praying to bring all of our life in alignment under the purpose of God. And so if anything we ask for after that doesn't align with his purpose, then why would he give us what we're asking for? Think about it. Maybe, maybe you didn't get that job. Maybe you didn't get that scholarship. Maybe you didn't get the girl, the car, the house. Not because God wanted to hurt you or because God was mad at you. Maybe you didn't get it because he knew that giving it to you would keep your life from being aligned with his purpose and your part in his purpose here on the earth. So I think that the, the tension for a lot of us is we want his purpose, we want his kingdom. We just want it so long as it doesn't interfere with mine. Like, like, like we want them to, to coexist. It's like the whole ex the expression, I want my cake and eat it too. Right? We're, we're, we're trying to do that. It's like when someone posts something and they say, hey, I need some uh, work done on my air conditioning. 
Uh, who can I use that, that's cheap but really good quality? And you'll always have someone respond quickly and be like, which one do you want? Because you probably can't have both. I can get it done cheap, but it may not be good. Or you can get it done really good, but you're going to have to pay for it. And I think for a lot of us, what we're trying to do is, is pray, God, we want your kingdom to come, but I just certainly hope that as your kingdom comes, it doesn't interfere with or threaten any of the things that, that I want to do. And when we pray your kingdom come, we're declaring that, that his purpose is greater than ours, and we're bringing our life into, into his purpose. And as his purpose becomes my purpose, it changes the way I live. His principles, the principles of the kingdom, begin to order my life. The principles of the king are the things that Jesus taught and modeled. Taught and modeled. Like, like we've got to start living the life that Jesus lived. Like, that's what we, when we define disciple, we say disciple is someone who is following Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, it means you're denying self. It means you're saying yes to him, not only as Savior, but you're saying yes to him as Lord. If we're following Jesus, then we're going to become like Jesus. And as we become like Jesus, we're then going to help others do the same. We've got to live the life that Jesus lived. That's the principles of the kingdom. He outlines some of those in the Sermon on the Mount in this talk that he's having when he gives the, the Lord's Prayer. They're talked about in, in other places of Scripture as well. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. If you remember that when we went through Romans, this was the chapter where he was talking about should you eat meat offered to idols, and you, you had varying uh, opinions, and Paul was saying, like, neither of you are right, neither of you are wrong. He says, but, but the kingdom isn't about that anyway. Instead, he says, but of, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life was characterized by things like goodness, peace, and joy. These are also part of the, are included in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But Jesus brought goodness into humanity. Um, in fact, there are a lot of people who don't believe that Jesus is who we believe he was. They believe he existed. But pretty much the consensus is that Jesus was a good man. He was a humanitarian. He brought goodness into this world. He brought peace into, into the chaos. If you look at our world right now, our world is anything but a peaceful place. And I'm not just talking about the, the wars that are, are going on right now. I mean, internally. Like how many of us as followers of Jesus right now are sitting here with a, with a massive amount of internal turmoil going on right now? Our relationships characterized by anger. People are just tense. Last Sunday when, uh, when we left, we took our kids and got them lunch at Sheets, which Jen obviously is not thrilled about. And so when we're leaving, we're waiting at this traffic light to, to go across uh, 70. And there are these, uh, the, the light changes uh, red for us. And uh, then the cars coming up on this side changes red for them. And the, the first two cars in the, the left turn lane to turn onto 42, all of a sudden they pull up, the car doors open, and these two middle-aged dudes get out, and they start fighting. You know how much I love to watch a good fight. So <laughs> Jen's like, I knew we shouldn't have gone to Sheets. And I'm like, we should have got popcorn, because this is going to be good. And so we're, we're sitting there. And I mean, they're, it, it was a pretty pathetic fight. Um, but like, they're rolling around in the cars behind them. And, and then the one guy was clearly like, uh, he had a truck full of stuff. So he was clearly working. 
The other guy was in a car, like, I can only imagine his wife probably just sent him to food line to grab a gallon of milk, and he's coming home all scratched up and shirt tore open. And the, the, the best part of it was they stopped fighting, but the light's still red. So they walk back to their cars, and they get in their cars, and they just sit in their cars, like, all breathing all heavy, as if, like, nothing happened. And, but, I, but I watched that, and I immediately was just thought about, like, Man, how on edge do you have to be every moment? Like, how chaotic have we allowed life to become? I don't even know what happened before then, but that all of a sudden, to get out of your car and actually get in a fist fight with another person over probably someone cut you off, right? But there's so much tension. There's so much turmoil. There's so much chaos. Jesus brought peace into a world that was anything but peaceful. He brought peace into the chaos. In a culture of chaos and tension today, are you and I at peace with God? And are we bringing the peace of God? Because living the life that Jesus lived, when we live that life, it makes the kingdom visible and appealing to people who are far from God. It gives them a taste of what's to come. Think about Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving meal at your house. If it's anything like mine, it's, it's an event that starts on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we put that turkey in the oven. And I love the, the, the kids wake up to the smell of turkey cooking. They don't like it, but I love it. And so the, the, the turkey's cooking. And then because I'm the one that, that cooks it, uh, I got to make sure I'm not giving anybody any poison food. So I got to taste it, right? And so as I st- once I first start to carve it, I'll, I'll sample that first bite. And I'm like, man, it's going to be a good Thanksgiving. Like this, this one's going to be maybe the best ever. And I get that little bit of a taste. It gives me a glimpse of what is coming in just a few minutes. And I'm like, man, I cannot wait for the meal just simply based off of the taste that I just had. When we live the principles of the kingdom, when we live the life that Jesus lived, we are bringing the kingdom here and we are giving people a taste of what is to come. We're giving them a sense of what this kingdom is really all about. This kingdom that that brings us together doesn't drive us apart. That brings hope, that brings peace, that that brings joy into all of the situations that we experience in life. And have you ever experienced a, a powerful moment in your relationship with Jesus? Like, I get it, every moment with Jesus is powerful and wonderful, right? But, but there are certain moments along the way where we're like, man, like, I feel like something really special and unique just happened. Like a couple of weeks ago here in our 9 o'clock service, I told them this morning, the 9 o'clock service is usually where we make all the mistakes and that's where all the the dumb stories are are generated from. But a couple of weeks ago, the 9 o'clock service, I don't know what what happened, but it was you just felt like the Holy Spirit in an uncommon way. And it was beautiful and it was powerful and it was one of those things that it was like, I just want to experience that again. I wish we could experience that all the time. Or maybe for you it's been uh, in some other way. Maybe you've had a broken relationship that's been reconciled. And the beauty of the miracle of reconciliation, you are just in awe of how wonderful and awesome and powerful our God is. Or maybe you helped someone in need and realized the joy that can be found in doing something for others as opposed to having things uh, just be done for you. Maybe you helped someone say yes to Jesus, but you experience this moment and you're like, man, I just... I just wish we could experience that all the time. 
That is a taste of the kingdom. That is a glimpse into the kingdom that Jesus came to establish and is, and is calling you and I to, uh, to, to active, be active participants in bringing that kingdom here. That one day that is what it is going to be like. And so when we pray your kingdom come, we're bringing our life into, uh, our, our purpose into alignment with God's purpose. We're living the, the, the principles of the king. We're giving people a taste of, of what's to come. And then we're declaring our commitment to advance it. You know, the, the, the kingdom of God, the redemptive reign of Christ, is a movement. It's marching forward. It's not stagnant. It's not retreating. It's not in hiding. In fact, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to do what, I'm, what, I've, what I've said I'm going to do. He said, I'll build my church. He's not going to stop it, and no matter how much he wants to, can't. So this is a, this is a movement that is, that is moving forward. It's advancing. And you and I play a part in that. Like when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're not asking him to bring us to some safe place. Like God, bring us to the kingdom in heaven. No, we're, we're bringing the kingdom here now. It's a prayer to give us courage to seek and live in this kingdom and advance the kingdom right here and right now to bring Things like goodness and peace and joy to bring light into the darkness. Jesus said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. When he said this, the disciples would have cheered and been like, yes, the Messiah was said that the Messiah would be a light to the nations. Like, yes, Jesus, you are the light of the world. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said to them, he says, you are the light of the world. This would be that moment if you had a record player, like all of a sudden it just squeak, like stops. Like they would have been like, wait, what? Like, no, the, the Messiah is the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And Jesus said, no, you are the light of the world. The presence of Jesus living in us, wherever the king is, is where the kingdom is. Jesus is living in you and I. And so as you and I are living our lives in submission to him, the kingdom is visible. The light is visible. He says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop, that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a light is, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When you think about Jesus being the light, like what, like what, is that, what does that mean? What does that look like? When you say Jesus is the light, yes, by the things that he said, but more importantly, his light, shine by the things that he did. That's what Jesus says here. He says, you are the light of the world. So therefore, let people see your good deeds. Let, let the light of your good deeds shine, but then let them see those, but, but then let them give glory to God. Let them see God. Let them see a glimpse of this kingdom through the way you and I are living our lives. Like light doesn't hide from darkness. Darkness hides from light. We don't have to hide from the darkness we have to invade the darkness. As our culture and our world gets darker, our, our light becomes more important. It becomes more, uh, more of a priority maybe than ever before to let this light shine, to give light to those who are walking in darkness. And with our world is spinning out of control as things become darker, I asked myself the question, are we bringing the light? Are we living the life Jesus lived? But, but listen, it's not just important that we live the life Jesus lived. Are we living the life that Jesus lived the way Jesus lived it? Like Jesus spoke truth, 
But Jesus spoke truth in love. Jesus said hard things, but he also said hard things with grace and compassion and mercy on others. Like Jesus was the only perfect man, but he was the least judgmental man who ever lived. He was the most righteous man who ever lived and the least self-righteous man who ever lived. It wasn't just what he did, it's how he did it. Are we bringing the light? And I'll be honest with you, when I look at the church in North America, I don't think that we are. I look at the church in North America, we're giving ground. We're retreating to the safety of our gatherings. I mean, as much as I love this, and you, you've heard me say this before, I love gathering. But if we don't bring the light out of this building into the relationships we have with people who are far from God, this is a colossal waste of your time. Like, do you think God inhabits the praises of people who sing a bunch of words and shed a bunch of tears and then walk out and live in direct opposition to the things that he's called and commanded us to do? Man, when you say, may your kingdom come, you are making a declaration that you and I are going to be a part of bringing that kingdom here. That we are going to be a part of bringing light into the darkness. I think rather than advancing the kingdom, we're praying for the kingdom to come under the cover of darkness. We're celebrating the kingdom and worship, worshiping the king, insulated by one another. We're called to be a light to the world, and I think more than ever, we are simply becoming a light unto ourselves. Are we bringing light into the darkness because that is what Jesus did and that is what bringing the kingdom here demands of us? Jesus stepped into the mess of this world and he brought hope. He didn't show up, look around and go, oh boy, it's worse than I thought. Like this, this was not Jesus. You guys see this kid? Like, like how, many of this is our, how many of this is our lives? Like, honestly, like, we come rolling in and you're like, oh, you're gay. Whoops, let me get out of here. Like, oh, you're divorced. Uh, don't have time for that. Oh, whatever it is. You're not like me. You don't believe the Bible's true. And so we just, we just show up and then we jet when things get difficult. Jesus showed up in the brokenness of this world and he stayed and more specifically, he showed up in the brokenness of your life and in the brokenness of my life, and he stayed. And that is what bringing the kingdom demands of every one of us. We show up, and we stay. We live the life that Jesus lived, and we live it the way that Jesus lived it. Man, when you pray your kingdom come, your will be done, that's a short sentence. There's a lot in there. And it's costly. And the reason I don't always want to pray it is because I know that God is going, to, is going to poke at some things in my life that I'm like, man, I want your kingdom to come, but I don't want to give that up. I want, you to kingdom, I want your kingdom to come, but it's going to threaten mine, and I just don't know that I'm ready, that I'm ready to, to let go of it just yet. But this prayer is a prayer of, of Surrender. That we are willing to give everything up for his purpose and his kingdom. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus didn't even say, uh, Jesus didn't say our kingdom. Like he said our father, but he didn't say our kingdom. He says your kingdom. It's not us working together. It's us working under the purpose 
and the kingdom that God has come to establish. God's purpose and my purpose can't coexist. Only one of them can win. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we want your kingdom to come. You know, in order for your kingdom to come, we've got to get out of the way. Like We've got to deny self. We've got to surrender our desires, our wants, our agendas, and our ideas of the way we think the world should function. And we've got to surrender it all to you. Right now, Father, I just pray that you would show us what it is in each of our lives, what it is that is keeping your kingdom from coming through us. It could be our pride. It could be our own agenda and plan. Some of us may say, yeah, I know God wants me to do this, but I'm going to let the kids get a little bit older and then chase that. Maybe it's our timeline. Maybe it's our money. Maybe it's a relationship or resentment that we're holding on to that has bound us and is crippling us. Jesus, in love, would you show us what that is? And then as you always do, would you graciously and carefully guide us to the truth? May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We surrender all so that that could happen. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray it.